Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. Today's Monday, February 14th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Actually, when we finish this recording, it, it probably will be Monday. It like, probably will be actually, Monday. <laughs> We did a day of. We're doing it live, uh, but no, it's like that Mitch Hedberg joke. Uh, you went to you went to the game and everything, and I saw everybody this whole week. You know, on media row at the media hotel, and it's like we all had the same like shine and bounce because we're all using the same shampoo and conditioner the whole time. <laughs> That's all I could think of. I couldn't wait to get that Hedberg joke off, but no, it was a great time this week seeing you, and you got to go to the game and see the halftime show, which I'm so so jealous of. Uh, the game, eh. It was a football game, but no, the halftime show. I uh, I'm very very jealous you got to see. We'll dig into everything. You know, the Rams just won the Super Bowl uh, in sort of unspectacular fashions in, in some ways, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you, when you get <laughs> there, all that matters is you bring it home. You know, this team. It's a culmination of everything they've been working toward. We'll dig into all of that. Halftime show is awesome. Uh, so rarely are they fun. So rarely are they interesting. And it was great because the crowd was super into it. And yeah. I mean, there were certain little moments along the way, like the Mary J. Blige part was great. Like when 50 Cent came down, it was just kind of funny, <laughs> like when hanging oh upside goodness. down. But oh my goodness, when when Dr. Dre went to the piano and started doing the Still Dre like intro, and then it kicked in, I got chills when I was sitting in the stands. <laughs> I mean, it, that was that was a real moment, and the crowd was really into it. That it was really fun. And can't, my my fiance mentioned this when I was talking to her on the way home. She's like, no frills. Like they weren't trying to have yeah. like a viral moment. It nope, wasn't nope. this thing that was over the top. It was just nope. you know songs you love. I two thousand one is I love that record like all the way top to bottom. It came out when I was in middle school and like it was yep. just starting to get into rap music. And I just I love that album and just hearing you know two or three songs off that album. Like even the forgot about Dre intro and it was it was awesome. It was just such a fun thing and yeah. kind of outstaged the game in some ways. But I was very glad that I was in the building for that moment. Yeah, and the set was great and how they utilized it and how they flowed from one song to the next. It was really, really well done. Having the live band helped as well. But it was uh, – I've been jaded ever since I learned that Whitney Houston's like national anthem was like lip-synced. So like seeing <laughs> – when I heard the crowd at first, I, I've seen enough wrestling to know that sometimes you pipe in – Pipe in a little bit of crowd noise, you know, pump it up a little bit, you know, especially in the dome. But then I realized I was like, oh no, that's actually the crowd. Like they're feeling it. Yeah. So that was that really like was palpable through the TV screen. So it was just so cool. But I think by the end, I was like kind of like, I don't know if tearing up's the right word, but kind of like my breath was taken away. My wife's like, Oh yeah, she was asking me questions about the game. I was like, Yeah, hold on. You know, they just <laughs> that, that was that was good. That was good. I think I needed that in my life. <laughs> it was fantastic. And a game that obviously, you know, there were some lulls. It was a strange game. It was just it was it was. strange moments, and the way that it went was kind of odd. I mean, elements of the Rams, you know, just game plan overall. So let's just start with, I think, the final drive, you know, and then we'll yeah. kind of work backwards from there. 
because I thought a lot of the elements of the Rams game plan were strange and it didn't really make a lot of sense. And it seemed like they were pounding their heads against the wall. And there may be reasons for that that we can explore, but that final drive, everything kind of clicks. And, you know, they, I tweeted this in the moment, cup had six targets heading into that final drive. And I don't really know why that was the case. I think we can speculate on why not a ton of great post-game access today. Um, Not a lot of people came through uh, the, press conferences were a little short so questions that i would have loved to have asked just didn't really have a chance mm-hmm. to ask about some of the game planning and everything else but that final drive they come out and, and it just seemed like they were going to get him the ball come hell or high water and yeah. you know, kind of setting him up and the one thing that mcveigh did say and, and cup kind of confirmed it is that they were using a lot of tempo on that final drive in order to yeah, get yeah. them into some pretty standard static what mcveigh referred to as regulated looks you know a lot more zone rather than letting them play some yep. of the designer man that they were playing on third down and other aspects of the game. That was one of the other benefits of the last drive is they didn't let them get the third down. I mean, all that, yeah. big, that big cup completion was on second down, but I mean, three or four throws from Stafford and three or four connections with cup coupled with a couple penalties. And that ultimately won them the game. The, the cup big catch and run that had Stafford honestly had an all time throw on that play was set up it was more of a base i don't say basic coverage but more but just like you pointed out when he's saying regulated looks it's when you're going tempo just like on an offense like the cool gadget plays can be really really wordy trying to get everyone in the right spots yeah same on defense is that they're cool designer blitzes which the Bengals actually had brought some heat late at the late in the game too is some simulated and some they brought five but that can get really wordy. So like you said, regulated looks. Okay, it's standard day one concepts. When they're panicking, they just go, I'm just making up a word here, like sky, 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 three, three, three. Like just get into it, get into it, because we don't know when they're going to snap the ball. So yeah, it just kept them uneasy. And uh, the one, yeah, the big catch and run the cup, they ran the exact same play. When you're going tempo on offense, this is what's always fascinating, uh, fascinating me about the McVay offense, is how they're able to get so much, like so many different plays with motions and jet out of tempo that's always fascinated me because usually it's very basic what you get to static looks because it's just hey we don't want all it's it's a lot to learn and if you're not like used to the offense well managing a code word with emotion they would do it all the time that that's always fascinated me but the one to cup right before that they hit it to hopkins the tight end who's like oh my god who's this big wide tight end lumbering around <laughs> like he actually like caught a nice ball it's like he had his first catch of the day they like couldn't tackle him it was like seeing a bunch of like lions trying to take, break down, uh, take down an elephant, like something like that. Like that. <laughs> he was just barreling through, but he caught one underneath, and it was the same concept. It was the same high low, and Stafford peppered him. I think it was like a nice eight yard gain, might be even more. It was like eight yard gain, and then it was the big throw a couple plays later. It was also interesting the the fourth and one jet sweep. Like I don't know if I mentioned this on the Friday show, but a stat we pulled up was the I think I talked to you about it, but didn't mention it on the show was football outsiders has a power success rate, which is third and fourth down and one, one and two yard runs. Uh, what's your success rate on those? And the Rams are 29th in the league uh, this year. Because they like, can't I love finish ball. off a quarterback sneak. And they tried oh to God. run it on He's the goal so line. They they couldn't He's run so a quarterback sneak from the one inch line on the goal line. And they had to throw He's the fade to cup. Him. It was so not funny. Good at him. And they could not run the ball. I mean, they just couldn't run the ball at all, which we'll get it was into. Unbelievable. But that throw in the moment, I rewatched it. So when you're watching, I was watching the game live, obviously, but I had the game going on my computer just so you can rewatch plays. And when I was rewatching that throw, I was like, I don't think he was looking at him. I, I don't, I don't think he was looking at him at all. And I was doing it from the broadcast view. His head was tilted just a little to the right. And then you see the replay later on. 
that high load of cup, it's a game changing play. Yeah. Just an insane throw. I mean, to hit it's, that ball without looking at Cup coming over the middle, you guys, obviously the play we're talking about, the 22-yard gain on that final drive, they run a little high-low, and the only reason that Von Bell isn't in the passing lane that Stafford hits the Cup on that play is because he's holding down Von Bell mm-hmm. with his eyes because he's locked on to Hopkins, whatever the tight end's name is, in that high-low. If he even glances back Cup's way, Bell, Bell is not driving on that ball. Bell is right there no. to take that throw Hang away. Hanging and the entire game, like really on third down, because really this game felt like it was all decided on third down so much with or without, or not even getting to him sometimes. But it felt the whole game was Stafford playing games with the robber, whoever it was. Like that's what it was. At this whole game was based, it, that was the matchup. We talk about quarterbacks versus the Mike linebacker. This game was the quarterback versus the, the robber, whoever it was for the Bengals, just hanging in the middle of the area and playing games with his eyes. That's why he does the no look stuff. Other than the fact that he's like Jason Williams can't throw a normal chess pass is that he is like he's keeping the eyes. So that's what you have to do. It's that kind of next level stuff where it's obviously it's next level stuff. He threw freaking no look pass. And anyone that's saying that's not a no look pass like doesn't know what the hell they're talking about because he's going what he's doing going left to right is he's fucking progressing on the play. So he's progressing on the play, but he realizes that it's man again. He sees that it's robber. You confirm safeties. That's what you do when you check coverage. So you confirm in safety, sees the robber and goes, OK, I know what I'm about to do here. I'm going to hold, hold, hold. And it's a no luck in the anticipation he has to go right past Bell is ridiculous. Like he has such great arm talent or arm strength in general, lining the ball and throwing it deep that the fact that he can throw with anticipation, it's actually unguardable because it just gets there. Even if the guy broke on it, if Bell broke it around the right time, it just would zoom right by his head because his arm strength is so talented. It's it, I honestly think it's one of the greatest throws I've seen considering the moment and like the stage of what Absolutely. it was. Absolutely. Like, it's one of the greatest throws I've ever seen, and I, it was so cool. It's one of those you appreciate more and more as you watch each replay of it. And then, obviously, you finish off the drive with the the fade for the touchdown. There, uh, McVeigh said afterwards, or I think Cup said afterwards, that that's an alert. That that's a run run play yep. called in the huddle, and they you they, they check to that if it's in man. And they was working against Apple had him. I I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over the two penalties. I think they were both penalties. You know, obviously, in uh, yeah. that moment, it's tough to call those because there hadn't been a lot of flags over the course of the game. But this stuff comes out in the wash. I mean, T. Higgins yep. almost tried to rip Jalen Ramsey's head off uh, on, on a play down that ended up in a 75-yard touchdown. D- don't really yep. have a ton of issues with, with either of those calls in those moments. And, I mean, that final oh, drive God. was so huge. They had six cup throws on that final drive after six targets the rest of the game. And I want to get into that because... I was so confused about aspects of the Rams game plan, and I think there are reasons for it, but I still think it's worth exploring. On third down that entire game, so I had one of our buddies at NextGen look it up before that final drive because it seemed like the Rams were in empty on third down so much of the game, and they were. 69, (laughs) 69% empty rate on third down before the final drive. Over the course of an entire game, it would be the second highest rate in the next-gen era. And when they were going and empty on all those plays, I think there's a lot of kind of trickle-down aspects of it. All of those stacks we talked about with Cooper Cup in those third downs, there's none of that because everything's so spread out. So there's a combination of him getting double teamed, which he was in a lot of those situations where the robber is just kind of sitting over him. And then in other aspects, in other, and Cup said this, he's like, UI Apple was playing me really physical the whole game. 
I mean, oh they, goodness, they were yeah. they were mugging him at the line of scrimmage because he knows he has help because there's like a true double team happening. And there are other players where Wuzier was really kind of getting in his face at the line of scrimmage. They were pressing yeah. him consistently. I'm like, why yeah. aren't they stacking in those situations that they know they're getting man coverage to get him a free release and kind of let him go to work when there's no one else on the offense? And I'm wondering if it's just because they didn't want timing aspects to the offense and stacks because there were so many new guys in there. It just felt like after Odell got hurt at the end of the first half with Higby out, which ended up affecting the game a lot more than I thought it was going Mm -hmm. to, especially when you kind of compound it with the Odell injury. It just seemed like they weren't comfortable doing some of those stacker bunch looks that we are so used to seeing from them. Because remember the Skarsgård one on third down that they just totally botched. Whenever they tried to do anything like that, it looked really ugly. So you had these kind of static, empty pictures on third down, and that's why you're seeing so many slot fades to Henderson, to Jefferson, and they just felt like they didn't have anything easy on third down because they weren't lining up in the ways that we typically see from them. But I think that's probably the explanation, is that there's so many new guys in there, they didn't feel comfortable about the timing of those plays. Yeah, that when really when Skarsgård and Van Jefferson they just ran into each other, kind of summed them up. It was like they one of them had to step up because just what happened, obviously with OBJ down. And you understand now why they signed Deshaun Jackson this offseason, why they drafted two two at well, why they went went got OBJ. It's because like they didn't trust these guys. And Robert Woods is hurt. Like they they were down. Robert Woods is hurt. They were down to like their third tight end and all the receivers that they don't want on the field. And one of the, the leading rusher or leading attempts guy just came off an Achilles like six months ago. It's not as not as like tip top as you would think. It's just you know Cooper Cup and Stafford uh, coming in there. But du- like those double looks too. I've been thinking about this. Is so you usually you get the picks and you or you just keep a guy clean, keeping off the ball. You a lot of smaller receivers. This helps, but it's also just kind of like a nice change up for even guys that can win versus press. Because like you said, the the refs swallow their whistles, which I'm all for. So Bengals realized that just like last week or in the championship game, they're like, oh, you're going to swallow your whistles. All right. Like crack their knuckles. Like we're going to beat the shit out of you. And that's a great, great game plan and a big moment to like really beat up your uh, the top player. It's the Jordan rules kind of thing. Um, but all those spread looks and watching a couple of plays back is with all that robber they're playing in the drop eight they were playing. They have so much help in the middle. So many of the Rams concepts. I think they actually had a nice idea. They did this concept that a lot of the Bucks will run as well. And it's a high-low, just well, I'm going to say that term a whole bunch of times a show. But yeah, underneath uh, tie-down routes, six to seven yards, and then you have two inbreakers. You have like a kind of like a bender and kind of like a sloppy dig that the Shanahan tree kind of likes to run. That's why I kind of it's sloppy dig, soft dig, bender, inbreaker. That's all you really need to know. What they're doing is okay. We're going to occupy the the robber player with that first inbreaker. You know, the bender, the over, what do you everyone call it? And then we'll, it's almost like a dagger concept. And then we'll hit the sloppy dig behind it and they tried to get to it. We know when Stafford banged up his knee um, and, and like really he should have checked it down. That was the concept they were running because they're trying to occupy the robber player and he was waiting for number two to bend behind it. They're creating a deep high low. So it was one of those where it was, they trusted their firepower so much that even what, if it's like there's easier answers, they're like, no, we're going to try the A, the A answers and push the ball down the field. And it's like, yeah, maybe maybe just run a little choice route, you know. <laughs> maybe just uh, maybe just stack them, run a little angle route, make them sit. And they did seem to get to that later, or at least they were able to anticipate that. If you also notice too, Stafford was hitting a lot of checkdowns on uh, base downs because they were just pushing so deep. They're running a lot of variations of uh, simulated cover twos and switching up the looks. So pushing, pushing like Tampa two, and so Stafford's like, all right, I'll just check it down. And he seemed to find that later in the game. But it was 
it's kind of like it's disjointed sometimes. Some drives are like, wow, they have all the answers. And some drives you can tell they galaxy brain it a little bit. Well, I mean, you look at, look at the, all the slot fades they ran. I mean, the first one they ran yeah. in the game, obviously, and, is a touchdown to Odell. Too, real, and slot fades, too, sorry, real quick, are, is usually a, a day one answer to be press man. That, yeah. That's why you run slot fades. So I'm just makes I just perfect to explain sen- that real quick. It makes perfect yes. sense. But <laughs> yes. the slot fades look a lot better when you're running them to Odell early oh, yeah. in the game than they do when you're running them to Van Jefferson, who... To no fault of his own, his head is very elsewhere, considering he left after the game to go to the hospital because yeah. his wife gave birth. Totally Made understand a lot more that. Sense. <laughs> when, so when you're running that to Odell on that third down for the first touchdown, looks a lot better than when you're running it to Van Jefferson. And even <coughs> that the pick to Skarsgård at the yeah. beginning of the first half, that yeah. base that dig on that playoff play action, that's an Odell play. So it just, oh, yeah. there's so many aspects of the game plan seem to fall apart. And then uh, early in the game, I believe Stafford in the first half was four or five for 54 yards on under center play action. And think about it the touchdown to cup on the, the he fakes the over, breaks back out. That's play action. They had a really nice yep. fake toss play action completion in the first half. I'm wondering if staff after Stafford screwed up his ankle, if they didn't feel as comfortable running some of the boot stuff from under center. So yeah. and now you're running out of things, right? We can't mm-hmm. run boots from under center because our quarterback can't really move. We're down to Cup, Skarsgård, and this version of Van Jefferson in our fourth string tight end, and then they could not run the ball. And their insistence oh, so on early down runs was just really frustrating. And I just there they had so many chances to lose that game based on the yeah. ways that they were playing offense and just how many bad third down spots they were getting themselves into. I, I just really don't understand a lot of the aspects of how they went about this. And ultimately it didn't end up mattering because their defensive line decided to win the game for them. <laughs> it seemed to me naked eye watching TV copy that there's guys taking turns, getting beat. Like there was a different Bengals player. Bengals DBs were also firing down real hard, like props to them. They're a good tackling team. They have great formation tell. They, they, really can tell formation tendencies it's it's apparent once you watch more and more of them it uh but also honestly the rams took advantage of that early was like you said that bootleg on the to cup because you see eli apple he's staring down he's yep. like he's ready to make a play and fit up the run and then there's it's that place hilarious by the way obj as he's running the route he's pointing at cup going like to stafford he's like hey he's wide open like it's actually pretty it's it was pretty he's like running with one arm pointing at cup going like, no throw there throw there which was you know pretty hilarious but um, all that stuff, uh, uh, which is all, yeah, that's a great point about the the leg uh, and and the naked. I didn't even like kind of like put two and two together. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Um, so much of that stuff is disjointed. But that that one drive, the second TD drive, was freaking awesome. They the they hit a catch and run to OBJ on third and eleven. Oh, it was beautiful. And, it was like a scissors against oh, man coverage. Yeah. That was one of my favorite plays the entire day. Yep, so beautiful. Oh, and that's why you get OBJ, like you said, with the one with Skarsgård. Inbreakers. OBJ is best on inbreakers. Slants, digs, overs. Get him on the move. Get him running. Let him create yards after the catch. That is what he's best on. And that one was amazing because Stafford Stafford had three plays that I could see where his eyes were made the play, like where he held a guy down because he had to work against the robbers, especially on third down. And on that one, there was cross country. It was, yeah, it's like a whole bunch of overs going against each other, like a deep, deep scissors kind of thing. And then did you and see on that it, play, they were they were in yeah. empty and they were spread out. Of course. He, he brought the running back and the tight end both into chip because he knew he needed a little bit more time. It's they shift they kept shifting all their guys. Like they would have the back in the backfield and then move him up. Just nice little tweaks. Don't just line up into it. Make them communicate. You they're making the Bengals communicate every They're third down package was like kind of 
had some cool stuff, and it was just like their run game was so shit, and it's just so bizarre. Our guys were just losing too. And I think the next play, play after that was the 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 fake toss throwback to Henderson throwback. down the left sideline. Yep, yeah, it's a beautiful sequence. Oh, and the, the toss was the fake toss was hilarious. He did the old school fake hand on it and put the ball <laughs> at his hip like it's like he's like a tradition you know like they say he's like a method actor he's like a traditionally trained actor like you know like that's what stafford is with so many of these things well then he gets he throws the ball he does all the trick shots but all the like mechanical stuff it's like so old school he you know he takes a knee in the huddle like when he's in the huddle and looks up like old school style I feel like he draws it on his chest but that that whole sequence was pretty. I was like, oh, okay, here come the Rams. Yeah, and they kind of gonna get anything going on the run game. That that over route to OBJ was awesome though, because he looks off Bates, holds Bates, and then flips it to OBJ. It's like I want to watch that one from the end zone. That's one I'll be posting on Twitter soon. And th- I told because that it felt like during that sequence, like here, here they go, like they're gonna they're gonna go on a run yeah. now. Their offense is finally yeah. clicking. The the cup touchdown. I think the the sneaky part of that is that they were in like a tight stack to the right. I want to say, and I think Jefferson went in jet motion from right to left. So right before the snap, Cup goes from being the number two receiver to being the number one receiver, and I'm sure that plays with. Apple's expectations and his rules on that play. If he starts going over and then cutting back to the corner, it's just little tiny layers of complexity on that play that I thought ended up becoming important. Especially when uh cup like inside releases. Uh, like he he exactly. inside stem inside stems, I think is the best way to put it. So he inside stems before breaking out. So Apple sees that. Just like you said, they probably have some rules on it. Oh, he's going in. He's fitting up on the safety. That's yep. it's freaking duo coming right here. he's fitting up the safety. I'll hit I'm gonna hit the back coming from the side. I'm geeked up. They've told me all week we got to tackle. We got to come down and tackle these guys, rally and tackle. So he's, you know, it's early in the game. They, they get to him. He had a rough game, though. <laughs> he, uh, he had to, he got put on a, put on some posters uh, tonight, uh, <laughs> sadly. But uh, no, but the other one, awesome, like Bengals coming back after that and do the LaDainian Thompson play to Joe Mixon, the throwing <laughs> touchdown. Love it. I love that. I love running back toss, uh, double passes. Those are some of my favorite plays, especially in the red zone. And if you look at that entire drive, that Bengals touchdown drive before the half, it's all quick stuff. It's Everything was quick for them in the first half. So uh, looking at the numbers heading into halftime, 5.9 air yards per attempt for Burrow heading into the half. I think 16 of his seven or 18 attempts before halftime were 10 yards or shorter. Four of them were behind the line of scrimmage. So, and I'm fairly certain that his time to throw at halftime was 2.35 seconds. They they were just getting rid of the ball as fast as possible. It was all underneath stuff. And I want to say on that drive where then Mixon finished it off, like they had chases the number three, ran a little jerk route against Reader. Like they were their best play. (laughs) That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to do as many things as they can to get the ball out really, really quick throughout the entire first half to keep their quarterback from getting murdered. And then in the second half, I want to go back and look at whatever tweaks the Rams made in real time. It's hard to see coverages and things like that, but it felt like he was holding out of the ball. I'm assuming they were squatting on more stuff in the second half, just playing tighter to the line of scrimmage, not letting anything get out because as soon as he started having to hold the ball in the second half, it was over. They they just couldn't block them. The the moment that he had to hang on to it for an extra beat, they were just completely outgunned up front. That's what, and that, and that's when you had the talent mismatches and I've kind of touched on this before is we think it's like, oh, it's every freaking play that this guy's going to win. This guy's going to win. It's over time. It's over time. Usually the better player wins over time. Like they say, like poker, you know, like the better poker player. Yeah. He's going to lose. Sometimes he's going to lose a hand or two, but 
over time, he's going to take your money. <laughs> like that's just kind of what it, what it is. And that's what Von Miller freaking, oh my God, Von Miller, the one sack where he ran down Burrow, they ran a game for it. And it was like, so I hate saying this term, but it was, it was such vintage Von Miller. It was the, it was just the looper where Von Miller has that weird way of looping where he stays square as he's like, as he comes around, he never turns his shoulders. He's like Zoolander. He can't turn. And he just kind of like, he just loops around and, uh, and just ran down Burrow. And you can see Burrow going like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like th- he's closing fast. And that just beautiful. But um, like a plate, when you have to go one and done on your reads, not because of mental, because Burrow can handle all that, but just progression wise, because you're worried about the pass rush. It, it just convolutes the whole thing when your old line can't handle, uh, can't hold up for the entire game. There's the third and three after the Stafford interception. So they're in the red zone. They run choice to Boyd. It's straight up stack choice. And Taylor Rapp does a great job and plays inside. And But he does it. He flips his hips right at the last second. So Boyd's reading his leverage and goes, oh, I got him. I'm going to hit an inbreak right here for a touchdown, like in the Super Bowl. And then right at the last second, Rapp flips his hips and takes inside leverage on him. And then so the play's fucked because there's Burrow going like looking, 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 going, oh, shoot. Now and then he's, Donald's he's, in his lap. Covered. Yep, and the Donaldson's left. And so that just kind of kept happening because when that's what happens. You have to go one and done. The ball has to come out if you try to run anything past, you know, 10 yards <laughs> because everything has to be a quick game or five-step timing. The only down-the-field opportunity it felt like they had in the game and missed. There were two throws, two plays in the first half that I felt like the Bengals left on the table that really short-circuited drives. They had Evans on the wheel on third yes. down. He got caught up a little bit with Jones, and I think that's what yeah. Burrow's timing expected. He he expected him to get off clean, and he, he, he didn't. Double, double clutched it. A so bit. he overthrew yeah. him on third down, and then there was another play where... I love that concept, by the way. Like, that was the Bengals play. That's our, sorry, I keep cutting you off because I was excited about that play, <laughs> but I, I was like, that that was a sweet concept by the Bengals because it looked like their seven-man protection stuff, and then they released them. Yep. They, so they ran six-man, and so they released him, and it's like, oh, there here comes a choice route, and he just went woo, vertical right by him. But sorry to cut you off, but it was like, that was... That was a good play design, by the way. And, Vegas. and they, they had it. That was it. that was something they, they left on the table. And then there was the other third down early in the first er, in the first half where he had Higgins. They had Higgins going oh. a jet motion from right to left. Higgins was in the flat, and he just he goes for whatever reason he goes on to chase on the curl, and Ernest Jones was just sitting right there. You had a theory yeah. on that play though. P. Ryan leaked into that same area in the flat, so you thought Bur- Burrow might have gotten a little bit spooked throwing the ball to that area because, for whatever reason, P. Ryan flashed to that spot and might have scared him a little bit. It was, yeah, and it, it something happened there because P. Ryan was late on the snap, and then he, I think he just busted, like he just panned. It happens, like it's it's hilarious that happens to these pros, but and P. Ryan's a smart player, so the snap of the ball happened, he hesitates, and then he's like, "Oh shoot, what do I have?" And so he starts kind of going to the flat, but Higgins is to the flat. And I think uh, Johnson was maybe on P. Ryan or maybe he had the flat coverage. So like when P. Ryan goes there, it it convolutes the whole look, the picture. And so I think Burrow was like, oh, shoot, I'm going there no matter because I thought this was going to happen. I thought the back was going to go the other side and open up that picture for me. So I think that's just what happened. He predetermined it. And it was like, oh, shoot, I this is not what it's supposed to look like. It's It happens. It, it happens sometimes. You hope it doesn't happen. But once in a while, some guy just... Goes in the wrong spot. On that, but the play before that, Ashawn Robinson had a huge TFL on third and one. And yeah. every single guy in that front had a couple moments today, right? Yeah. So Ashawn has that on third and one. The play before the Von Miller sack that you talked about on the loop, on the, on the stunt, Von Miller yeah. beat the right tackle inside and Ashawn Robinson cleaned it up. 
And then obviously there is no better sequence by a defensive player than the final two play sequence from one of the greatest defensive players in NFL history. The play he made on that final third and one, which we could talk about that play call if you want here. The the Bengals, for whatever reason, hand the ball to Samaje Pirine out of the gun on third and one with the Super Bowl on the line. Aaron Donald stands up the right guard and with one arm yanks Pirine down for no gain. They line up on fourth and one. McVay said as soon as he saw they were in the gun, he's like, Aaron's going to end the game right here. And I had the same feel. I had the same feeling. So they lined up. He was over the right guard. And I was like, this is it. Like, I just, this is one of the greatest players in NFL history. This is his moment. He's about to walk off the Super Bowl here. That play, it's just patented Aaron Donald move, right? He does a Superman cross chop where he gets airborne, like truly airborne on the move. Superman punch. And the little cross chop move and his bend back to Burrow on that play is flat. It's flat. There's like no angle to it whatsoever. He bends all the way back flat to the quarterback and doesn't get a sack, but gets breaks up a play and wins the Rams the Super Bowl. I, I was saying afterwards, he's one of the greatest players of all time. And, and we can talk about what this means for him and his future and all that. Oh, yeah. He won the Super Bowl. Th- th- yeah. th- one of the greatest players of all time with a nasty pass rush. There's only been 56 Super Bowls, man. That there aren't yeah. that many walk-off yeah. plays to win the fucking Super Bowl. And and this guy who is the greatest defensive tackle of all time, no questions asked, and easily one of the best four or five defensive players in NFL history, when you look at his resume, won the Super Bowl on a fourth and one with a disgusting move. Like I, I don't know what else you want from that guy. Like that play is gonna go down in history. Oh yeah. And the third and one, he he was about the German suplex P Ryan. Like he he had him back to belly like he was about to lift him up but i've seen aaron donald so i was at Pitt when aaron donald was there his junior and senior year and no one blocked him in one-on-ones for two straight years which is pretty funny we had to take him out on play action plays like in spring ball so we can actually like run a play <laughs> like we had to take him out hey hey ad can you just get one he got it he was one of the hardest practice players I've ever been around super smart we lost to florida state uh my uh the senior year so 2013 we lost. I'm a GA. I have to go put input the film, put all the data in, blah, blah, blah. I'm there. The only other person in the building was the defense GA and Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald was in the in the meeting room because he's so pissed about the loss against Florida State. And he was there. It's like 2 a.m. because it was like a, it was like a Monday night Labor Day game. But watching him come out, I think Collinsworth even said it, was apparently Aaron Donald, which I'm not shocked at, sprinted onto the field before that last drive. And then when they showed him, he's just pumping up the crowd. And it was just like, but it wasn't like just like five pumps. It was like he pumped, you know, like whenever the St. Joe's owl, when they have to flat for <laughs> the entire game, like that's what he was basically doing. It's just pumping him up. It was, and it was, just, you just watched him. It was like, the, he's going to absolutely kill somebody. Like he's going, he is taking over this game. That's exactly what he did. And that's what's so cool. It's usually defensive plays. It's like five guys maybe did something. Okay. It's a scramble drill where everyone's falling and all those types of stuff and like great coverage. It was like, no, it's just Aaron Donald won right away. Yes. One on one on Island. And that's the play. That's, that's what won them the game. What's won them the play. I thought he should have been Super Bowl MVP. Personally. I agree. I agree. I, I totally agree. Yeah. I 100% yeah. agree. I, I think that he was the MVP of that game. And I think so. Uh, you could say he's the most valuable non quarterback in the league of the last eight years over the last eight oh, years. Yeah. You could make a solid argument for it pretty much every single season. And I mean, he was asked about it after the game if this will be it and he didn't say he'd be back so i mean there's a chance that we just watched the last game of aaron donald's career 
that he had a, a walk-off play to win the Super Bowl as his final moment in the NFL. I hope not. I hope that's not the case. I hope not. But he truly has nothing left to accomplish. No. He seven-time first team all pro every his second through eighth seasons first team all pro three I think three-time defensive player of the year correct mm-hmm. three-time defensive so. player of the year Super Bowl winner I would say the greatest player ever to play his position I feel completely yeah. comfortable in saying that I think he's the most impactful defensive tackle that's ever played the sport and if this is it what a legacy I mean just what a career what a player I I'll never forget watching his tape at Pitt before that draft, and I mean, there, there, you can go Kyrie. back. There are receipts. Like talking to Barnwell before that draft, I was like, "That's the best guy." Like oh, yeah. he's just that's the best player, and he. So few guys walk onto the field the moment they get into the league, and they're just the best player, and that's what he was. And to do it as someone who his frame doesn't make sense. Like that's yeah. why that's why he was the 14th overall pick, despite being the most productive defensive player in college football his last year at Pitts, because people looked at him and just were like a six foot defensive tackle can't yeah. it isn't going to be this guy. Doesn't matter. He ran a four six and change at like 285 pounds. Yeah, it didn't matter apparently. <laughs> and, and it's it's just this combination of attitude, ability, yep. and refinement. It, it's not as yeah. though. I mean, he is one of like the all-time freakiest players to ever step into the league. But when you combine that with the fact that, like that final cross-trap move, that's just that incredible insane. technical proficiency. And that's why when you watch him, there was just nothing offensive. I, I'm talking about him in the past tense now. There's just been nothing offensive guards could do. Because no matter yeah. what you did, you were fucked. Because if you yeah. wanted to play him for speed, he could walk right, walk you to the quarterback. That third down sack that ultimately comes up huge in this game to shut down that drive after the interception, that's just him walking the guard back to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you want to set him for power, he is literally the fastest, quickest, most explosive defensive tackle in the history of the sport. There, there was nothing you could do to slow him down. He had 98 sacks in his first eight seasons, the same number that Von Miller had. And he's a defensive tackle. Uh, truly one of, in my opinion, I think the best player that I've seen since I started covering the league. And I don't think it's particularly close. I've been blessed to be around a lot of great players. And he's I, he's not, it's one or two, like for me. I mean, he is, he's absolutely insane. And, and just the, seeing the combination of just talent and work ethic and attitude, like he's, he's willing to like, bow up on guys he's just like a psycho competitor and just how he carries himself is just fascinating it's just like he's one of those personalities and those players that is an all-timer i like you were saying like top four or five defensive players like when i hopefully he doesn't retire if he kept this up for another couple of years it's like he's a top 10 player period like oh he absolutely abso- he does this yeah. three more years four more years playing at this level I, you could probably make a case that he's the greatest defensive player of all time. And I know Lawrence oh, yeah. Taylor is like always going to be there yeah, for people yeah. like it just because of what he was and what he yeah. represented. And yes, he'll probably be like the most singular dominant defensive player of all time. But when you think about yeah. resumes and accomplishments and production, the same way that Tom Brady is not the most dominant player of all time, or the yeah. most talented quarterback of all time, but he's the most accomplished player. I think that if Aaron Donald continued to do this, he would had a chance would have a chance to be like the most accomplished defensive player of all time, or at least be in the conversation. 
Oh yeah, just on the podium at the very, very least. Yeah, he's a gold or silver medalist. Uh, there, there's a play you're talking about the his college film. Do you remember the one against Duke where he tackled two guys at the same time? Two guys at yes. the same time. It was one of the craziest plays I've seen. And it gets that and watch him against Georgia Tech triple option by it's like one of the most comical experiences ever. Seeing like a, a center that's the same height as him but have about 40% of his athletic ability, just try and block him throughout a game against a triple option. Like it's just actual comedy gold. I think he had like seven or eight TFLs that game, something <laughs> ridiculous. It, it was, it was, it was like, it was fake numbers. It was Randy Moss at Marshall numbers, but at defensive tackle. Yes. Like that's, that's what type of player he was, but that's, that's the type of player he is. He's just a generational player. He's an all time player. We had all time throw from Stafford and all time play performance by an all time player, Aaron Donald. Another guy that might be gone, Andrew Whitworth is forty years old. Oh yeah. And just yeah. gave up that sack. Other than that, when did you hear Trey Hendrickson's name over the course of that entire game? Never. Never. And and again, somebody and, that And the other sack was just a, a fluke uh, reader fell down and Stafford stepped up into it. Like yep. that was uh, that was a fluke that O line overall played pr- fairly well, especially in the passing game. In pass protection, the game. in pass protection, the they game. played well all year, <laughs> and that's something we brought up yep. on the show on Friday. Just something that remind yep. remember how good this O line has been in pass protection because that him waiting on unit. that him waiting on that no look throw is only possible because he has time to do it, and he did it all year. So Whitworth, there's a chance he walks away. There is a chance. Based on everything that we talked about this week and all the rumblings and everything else that maybe McVeigh is done. So now you kind of have these. I don't think he will be. I think that he'll be back. And I, I, But there's this this team with the way they've done this. This was it, right? This yeah, this was this every it. and this was everything that they planned to do. They made the Stafford trade. They went out and got Von Miller. All the contracts they've handed out. It was all building to this moment. They're, I think it's more sustainable, and I think they'll be relevant for the next couple of years if all of these guys come back, but they push the chips into the middle for this exact thing, and now mm-hmm. you have questions to answer. You're like, little things. Von Miller is a free agent, obviously. Brian Allen is a free agent. You know, guys like that. <laughs> it's just little tiny, again, bits of connective tissue of the roster, and they're up against the cap. Stafford probably needs a contract extension. So mm-hmm. there are some things. Let's say Whitworth retires. Joe Mo- Joe Nopum steps into that spot most likely. He played well when Whitworth was hurt. But you go from one of the best three or four pass-protecting left tackles in the league to somebody that isn't that, even if he's a capable yeah. starter. So whatever the succession plans look like or whatever the roster will look like next year, it's never going to be as all in or as committed as this version of it probably was. So if McVeigh is back, if Donald is back, they're going to be one of the teams in the NFC. But they were building to this moment and they got it. Yeah, this is <laughs> this was their path. We talk about paths, the team and what's considered success. It was like, this was it. And they did it. So, hey, there we go. It's, it's their feather in all of their caps. Team building, what their angle. This was their window. We knew it. It was like. Every little move they made was just to pry that window open just a little bit more, a little bit more, an inch, quarter inch, all that. And I thought actually that Sean McVay at the end of it was going to say he was going to, to Disney World, but it was to start training for Monday Night Football. <laughs> like I actually thought that, I thought that's, I thought that was about to happen. But he, I think he ended his speech too quick before he could announce that. So, <laughs> so I mean, and it's funny because you know this team in in the end. It came down to the fact that their guys were better than the Bengals guys. Right? Oh yeah, I mean the the oh, yeah. the Von plays, the Donald plays, the, 
The Cooper Cup fade touchdown. Wait, we make fun of red zone fades all the time. I get it, but if you, it's an advantage play. If you have 100%. Randy Moss, you do. If you're Randy Moss, you do it all the time, and it's an advantage play because you're gonna. It's an eighty twenty ball basically. So that's why that's why that play overall is like that's why end zone fades or red zone fades are so much better when you have a guy like Cooper Cup. It was a Jimmy's and Joe's matchup. It was just that player is better than that player, and we're just gonna attack it and that's what those at that's what it was like as far as team wise they had a lot of those types of matchups and that's on, along the defensive line they had it the entire game so that kind of brings us to where the Bengals are we know where the Bengals are i mean their yeah. their their defense is pretty much most of it is coming back next year and they have a lot of cap space because their offense is so cheap you know, they have all of their main players on offense quarterbacks on a rookie deal they're Two best receivers are on a rookie deal. Boyd is on yep. a relatively is a, is on a pretty marginal contract. They haven't paid any offensive linemen because they have no offensive linemen worth paying. So they have some money to work with, and obviously, you know, they'll whatever they'll have with in terms of their draft capital. It doesn't get any simpler than this. They need an offensive line. Like they need yep. to spend everything they can to rebuild that offensive line in the offseason yep. because sometimes the game feels complicated, feels convoluted. Sometimes it's really simple. They gave up seven sacks in the goddamn Super Bowl. Even with all of the doors the Rams left open for them over the course of that entire game, you can't give up seven sacks in the Super Bowl and hope to win. Yeah, you can't make it when you want to get the ball to these weapons and you can't make everything one and done when you have a quarterback that can progress like with the best of them so let's let's let him maximize that. And wasn't I think Shio Kapadia had his, uh, our, our, our boy Shio. I don't know who won a prop player prop contest, by the way. I know I didn't. So I'm, I know <laughs> I, I was know doing pretty damn here. good until Odell got hurt. OB, I know, man. The I Rams, know. Rams yeah, in the under two to one. I know that was nice. I thought about you. Uh, very, very nice. Very nice. Uh, oh, Joe Burrow. Okay. This is a little stat. The shield shield tweeted. Shout out to shield. Joe Burrow sacked 19 times in the playoffs. that playoffs. That's the most of any QB in a single postseason at at least the last 20 years. It's not close. No other QB was higher than 12. And because usually you lose the, before you, you lose, keep getting sacked. Say. They won with nine sacks and people like couldn't get it over it. I, I did a Substack article on it, breaking down each sack. It was almost too many words. That's that's all I could tell. It was a miracle that they could get this far. And that speaks to Burrow and the skill guys. But still, it shouldn't shouldn't have ended like that. And but thank God he kept playing. But then they had kind of they seemed too like he was they with Stafford with the bootleg. It changed their game plan a little bit. They came back with a lot of runs, draws. I get that they were trying to kill some of the clock. But you could tell they're like, oh, my God, we cannot let Burrow hold on to the ball. He's, he might die unless the, we just have to. That Everybody drive where they quick, ran quick the points. ball twice in a row, that was the best their yeah. offense looked in the second half because it was the only time he wasn't getting the shit kicked out of him. I yeah. mean, that's when you have to do, like, breaking case of emergency draw plays to keep yep. our quarterback from getting killed. That's when you know yep. you're in trouble. So I, yep. if you're looking at an offensive plan for the Bengals in the offseason, everything you have – to go get two or three starting offensive linemen, right? Riley Reef is a free agent. And he was hurt, mm-hmm. obviously, which was dinged them in a big way, but it's not like he's coming back next year. So you have Jonah Williams, and that's really all you have. All those other four starters, I believe Spain was on a one year deal. Hopkins is it's been a rough year for him. I think he's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, possibly. Their right guard situation, Jackson Carmen was a second-round pick. Hopefully, he can start playing next year, but they didn't feel comfortable playing him in these types of moments. And then their right tackle situation is in question. So they could turn over most of that line if they want to this offseason, depending on how much they want to spend on it. That has to be the priority. Number one, no questions asked. Let's try to rebuild that line with all the resources we have. On defense... 
don't get sucked into this idea that we have our defense. Like, let's just uh, go status quo. Yeah. Let's bring everybody back. That that yeah. defense, if you look at it, they finished 17th in defensive DVOA. They're a solid defense that was very well built for the postseason because they're smart, they play hard, and they're flexible. They're malleable. You can yeah. have these game plans where, all right, let's just build the system in one way for one game, and we can do that. But over the course of the entire year, it's not like this was a top eight defense. They need a couple splash playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe in one more corner in that Eli mm-hmm. Apple spot. Can you go get a linebacker or possibly just yep. d- drop a little bit of talent into that defense and kind of refresh what you have? Because the core yep. of it and the way they built it with some of those veterans is very good. But don't get sucked into this idea of, oh, the defense is set. The defense will be okay. That's not how any of this works. Yeah, it, it exactly. They need a dynamic playmaker. 100%. Like just, as an, just as an offense does, just as you get it, go and get a Jamar Chase, you need that on defense. It doesn't matter where it is. Like It's just, like you said, just an influx, influx of talent, no matter where it is. Okay, find the best, highest highest rated guy, BPA. We already got our skill guys. Most most teams get suckered into like drafting receivers too high. I think that's always the position where it's like, ooh, flashy skill guy. And I think... What's nice for the Bengals is in this draft, upcoming draft, where they're picking late 31, it's like, just find the best football player, O-line or defense. All right, just find them. And no matter what, it's going to be an upgrade. That's kind of a nice position if you do it right. (laughs) I know losing in the Super Bowl is not great, but it was a great year for them. But it's kind of nice what path. We already know everybody and their mom knows what it is. It's, you know, offensive line help and, you know, maybe get a name on defense. It's very tempting after you watch the season that they had and after also Okunjobi is a free agent and BHA Hill is a free agent, bringing a little like splash defensive tackle potential next to DJ Reader, just something like that. Like, let's just have like defensive playmaker on our mind. They have $57 million in cap space as it yeah. currently sits right now. Like, this is a team that absolutely can make some upgrades. Yeah. And it's, it's very tempting. And they have Hendrickson still. So yes, it's like, that's, he's a very like, good no, player. He's so a they, good player. They, like, there's, they, the core is very good on defense. But as a Bengals fan, just keep reminding yourself, like, just bringing back the band, th- that's not, yeah. it doesn't work that way, especially on the defensive yeah. side of the ball. So when you look at this and you look at the core of players and you look at the season that they had, it's very tempting to say, oh, they'll be back. You know, Joe Burrow's a star, and Joe Burrow is a star. You know, you get him yeah. a little bit of protection, that guy is going to be really good for a really long time. But it's it's hard, even if you feel like you're a little bit ahead of schedule, even if you feel like this was a magical season, which it undeniably was. I can't even imagine. It was cool being in the building today. It was a ton, sure. of, ton of Bengals fans. Like, they were clearly just – it was awesome. This, yeah, like the energy was amazing, and they, and they should be right. Like, I know. what a, what a season, what a run. Yeah, but it's and it's so tempting to be like, oh, we'll absolutely get another shot at this. We got a second year quarterback. This guy's going to be really good for a really long time. There's a little bit that kind of hurts because they could have won the game. They they yeah. could, they could have won the Super Bowl, and now you're walking back into a world where Mahomes is still there, Justin Herbert's still there. I mean, there are a lot, Josh Allen's still there. Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of all in your same conference. Like ex- the AFC, the AFC is a gauntlet, man, and it's going to continue bath. to be a gauntlet. I feel very good about again the core players that they have. I think that I would like to see. I'd like to see a slightly more dynamic offensive plan from them moving forward. I guess is what I, I would agree. say. I think that there are, there are certain elements of their offense that are a little bit frustrating to watch, but they're going to be 
a relevant team probably for as long as Joe Burrow is there. But it's not as if we can just sit there and say, oh, they'll be back in the Super Bowl next year or the year after or whatever. The AFC is going to be a tough, tough road. It is going to be tough, tough sledding here for the next few years. And that's why it's like, oh, we fucking could have had it. We absolutely yeah. could have won this game. Yeah, empty the chamber. It's Man, they had their chances. It, when that sequence in the second half started, the play action to T. Higgins – where they didn't call the penalty, and it was like T. Higgins just went up and dunked on it. It was like, okay. And then the pick first play coming out, it was Skarsgård, of course, too. And it was like, oh, that's right, OBJ's out. Oh, yeah, no way. This is all Bengals, like Team of Destiny all the way. <laughs> like That's what it felt like right then and there. That's what it felt like. And it really did. It did. It was. It's like, this is what this is what it is. And that's what you're saying is, it's like, man, we almost had it, and now we have to answer all these questions. But they, I, I, like, I agree with what you say on offense. This – Offense always it's frustrating in a lot of senses. I they run a lot of plays I like, but it always just feels so disjointed. Like nothing ever works off of something else. Not that you always have to have that perfect type of offense where when we went gaga with McVay a couple of years ago, all the jet motion, every formation looks the same. It's like you can you can do a greatest hits offense if you have the skill guys for it. And they you, do. You can totally do it. And they do. But the thing is when you play better teams, they start adjusting. And they start going like, well, if they're in this formation, they run this or this. If they're in this formation, they run this or this. They really just use rock a lot. And it's like now they got to start getting some paper and scissors into their into their, into their their lives a little bit. So it's like, okay, it's a three-pronged attack. That vertical to Evans was a nice designer play. But as the game went along, the gun run to Perrine or is like kind of like sums it up. They try to go for a tendency breaker there. But that the fact that they had a tendency breaker in, like I had to do that so much. Hey, we're in the gun and we got to hand it off. It's like you can tell they're not like used to it yeah. because they're so heavy under center run and they can't get into that world. Like they just don't have that type of team. So yeah, I agree. A better offensive game plan. It just sometimes feels like it's very – Shield had the one frustration a few months ago uh, when we were doing the pick segment. He's like, man, they do three plays in a row. It looks fantastic. And then it's like you don't hear from them for three drives. Can't have that again. They have to be more consistent just overall, week to week and game to game. Not the greatest day for Sean McVay in terms of you know, the game plan on offense and how you know, rough some of the first down success was and everything else. But this is still a situation where a 36-year-old coach has won, been in two Super Bowls in his first five seasons, just won a Super Bowl, has yep. won, I believe, 10 games in four of his five years, has been in the playoffs pretty much every single year. You know, we're already talking about whether he'd be ready to walk away because of everything he's accomplished and how in demand he would be. But this was not just the all-in moves this offseason. And all-in, we, you know, we, we say it as kind of a bucket term, but uh, they've yeah. done a great job of the Grant Gaineses and the Ernest Joneses and just all of the kind of smaller guys that they've developed as part of this plan. Jordan Rodriguez and I, when we talked about it on last week's show, one can't exist without the other. Like if you're going to yeah. trade all these first round picks away, you're going to need to start hitting on these third and fourth round picks and the Jordan Fullers of the world. Obviously, he didn't play today because Eric freaking mm-hmm. Weddle started in a Super Bowl after having played a month. Cool to see Eric Weddle get a ring. Cool to see a lot of those guys get a ring. But yeah, this was the culmination of not just those moves, but I think a culmination of the driving forces that have defined that Rams organization. You know, the idea that you can have all these offensive coaches hired away. Their offensive coordinator is getting hired away again. Their defensive yeah. coordinator, who coordinated the best defense in football last year, got hired away last offseason. They bring in Raheem Morris. He throws fireballs over mm-hmm. the second half of the game in the Super Bowl 
against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, their ability to kind of have this ecosystem of production and keeping this thing fresh and keeping this thing going every single year, that's been the most impressive thing to me is that whatever that is, and it's 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 McVeigh and it's Les Snead and it's Kevin Demoff and it's just the organization in general. They've become such mm-hmm. an incubator for ideas and, and about where the league is and that's why people are trying to steal it. They're not stealing an offensive system. They're stealing yeah. whatever the A way of fee- life. Yes. That, that, <laughs> and that's what it feels like. And this was this was the kind of the flourish, the final flourish for that way of life. That That's what this felt like tonight. It's like this team has been one of the defining teams in the NFL for the last yeah. five years. They have done so much to influence the way that other teams play, what other teams yeah. look for, and their ability to kind of keep that going over all this time. This was it. Like this is what they were working toward that toward that entire thing. And I think that even if he didn't have the best game today, and when you look at what Sean McVay's resume looks like at the after his first five seasons and what this team has been and how relevant they are, I mean, it has been a resounding success. It's pretty unbelievable. Yes. And uh, having kind of some foresight on where the league's going and being willing to embrace kind of modern ideas, like when McVay started out, no starters are playing preseason. They're not yeah. playing at all. Oh, yeah. not even a quarter? Not even a series? Not at all. Nothing. No, we're not playing any of them. I mean, that was like four or five years ago, and people were kind of freaking about it still. And then now it's everyone does it. Oh, you might see a guy for one series. How they practice throughout the season is very notable. Like they don't say, go to the combine. They don't go to the senior bowl. They don't do any of the things. All of these things that they've done, I mean, I think a lot of teams are going to sit back and be like, all right, you know, yeah. how should we be we doing this? And kind of bringing it all back around. You said like, you're where the league is going, kind of having that foresight. That Stafford trade to me is one of the most important instances of that foresight, right? When you think about what their season looked like in those first few years under McVay and when golf got there, I, I remember having a conversation with someone in the organization last summer. So not, not the summer of 2021, the summer of, I guess it went in the summer of 2019 because I didn't go to any training camps in 2020. But the summer of 2019... <laughs> They were having joint practices with the Raiders, and I was up in Napa for the joint practices, and I was talking to someone. We were talking about, I think, the golf extension and how when Sean started working with Jared, he's like, I'd be willing to commit to him. Like We can win with him. And why wouldn't you after what their offense looked like in 2018? I mean, this was – I talk about this game all the time, but that game against the Vikings on that Thursday night when they just burned the Vikings down. Uh, in in on national TV in prime time, it's just like this is it, man. This is the truth. Like, yeah. These guys are going places. And then obviously the Chiefs game happens that year on Monday night, and it made total sense that they would commit to Jared Goff in that moment. But as they hit a wall with that system, and as teams started taking things away, and they had to put that offense in the the box got too small. And yeah. as the box got small, I think they understood it, and the yeah. willingness to say. We have we have to have a quarterback who can make that throw to Cooper Cup that no look throw in that moment that can create something that is that is beyond what the offense gives him. We need that. That is a necessary part of how we're going to take that next step. They don't win this game without Matthew Stafford or a quarterback of Matthew Stafford's stature. Like this is that was it. Oh, like that that was the final flourish that they needed, and that understanding and that realization to say we can't keep going on this path. That's been the most impressive part of this is that he's seen the next turn, 
right? He's seen around the yeah. corner and around the bend in so many different instances. The the foresight to say, I, I need that Fangio defense. I need my version of that in the building and going to get yeah. Brandon Staley. And then that having that being the foundation of what the defense looks like this year. Just all of those different little tweaks they've made while having the same bones of the offense throughout it, but just everything else kind of revolving around it and just changing just enough, evolving, just evolving, right? The DNA is the same, but the evolution of it over the last couple years is what ultimately brought them to this place. Yes. And having, (laughs) and why you trade for Stafford too, is it's all these moves. We're going to, of course, remember the Super Bowl uh, moments and when, who stood out when, and, but it's getting there matters so much. And why you get a Stafford of the world is the Bucks game as well. Yes. And he, he hits the big throw, the big throw to cup. And it's so many throws in that, that game. I mean, their offense is incredible. So that add up. So many that add up and it's, it's having the foresight to know what your weaknesses are. Like it's just like having a lot of reflection. I, I think one of the worst things you could ever say is why we do it like this. And, and it's cause that's how we've always done it. If that's someone that's your answer, it's that's terrible. It's like, no, no, so let's think let's look at that a little bit. So like I think their status quo, they're always trying to find how to improve the one percent, how to improve seven percent, how to like Stafford's case, maybe like fifteen percent better than the last move we had. Um, I've mentioned before, like going from below, below average to above average is sometimes great. Like they're trying to find a million of those. Okay, we're going from poor to below average. Just a couple tiers, you know, it doesn't have to go from below average to excellent, but you can just do a little tier bump, you know, and they just try and find it as an organization. It's a, it's you, you mentioned it. You're saying like the last half decade, the hall of fame happening kind of made me think of it. You can't tell the story of the NFL without, you know, these players. That's kind of what the basis of the hall of fame is with this McVay offense is it feels like this is like the team that kind of really epitomized this era. I don't know if that's the best way to put it. Like there's been a lot happening in the last five years in football. It's pretty great, but just player movement stuff that's happening now, um, just how teams are treating picks, teams are being more analytically driven scheme wise. It's got so much more varied, but it's also returning to its roots in a lot of ways. And like McVeigh and the Rams evolution has kind of been like the team to like, kind of like speak to all of that. Just think about going from Wade Phillips, old, you know, old defensive coordinator, to you know, and then just also realizing, like you said, oh, I got to change it up and get a, a new blood in here, and something to go for a new idea. Having a nice awareness about it, and just like self awareness about that, which is a nice trait to have. Just think about how many different coaches have been on that staff, and what the staff looks like now compared to what it looked like the last time they won the Super Bowl, or when McVay got yeah. there. I mean, their staff when McVay got teams there, coach. it just it, so many different tweaks, and they've still been relevant. And it's because he's been at the center of it. Aaron Donald has been at the center of it. You know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods have been the center of it. Andrew Whitworth was there. You know, they've had this core of guys and there's a chance that core of guys changes over the next couple of months. You know, we'll see what happens and we'll see where things go from there. But for now, in this moment, this was it. This was the final step of this era of Rams football was to win a Super Bowl and the Rams are Super Bowl champions and Super Bowl champs. That is our recap of the Rams Super Bowl win. <laughs> and that's all we got, guys. Um, thank you to everyone uh, for what has been a really, really fun year. You know, I, I think that our first season, we, we, we started the show right before the season started. I feel like we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants a little bit <laughs> a last little bit. year. You know, it was a weird COVID year and everything felt so different. And I really loved doing the five shows a week this year and kind of the show finding its footing and really growing. And I think a lot of people finding it and it really meant a lot to me. And 
you know, it's not lost on me how lucky I am to do this and, and even being there today. And, you know, I, I said this earlier today, but the, the Super Bowl week is very strange. You, know, you, you go, 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 you know, essentially till thir- Friday and then it slows down and you kind of have some moments. You, know, you and I were hanging out on Friday night and just talking about it a little bit. And you have this kind of quiet as you get toward yeah. the weekend and it, you, you have a chance to really reflect on the season and where things are. And, and I love that moment. And, and I, f- I feel very grateful, like especially grateful this year to have done this with you and to have everyone that's listened, continue to listen. It, it's, it was daunting to start this, this podcast in a world where there's so many NFL podcasts. And the fact that you guys have supported us uh, just means so much. It's the coolest job in the world. I feel lucky to do it every single day. I hope that the enthusiasm we feel for it is something that you guys can feel because it's very real. You know, when I was there today, I'm 34 years old. It was my seventh Super Bowl, and I'm just getting chills during the national anthem. I just like I can't believe I'm here, and yeah. that's why we do this. And I hope that you guys appreciate that because we certainly appreciate you. Absolutely, this year has been unbelievably fun uh like you said last year it was just figure out what we're doing like just like i I guess this is what we do now and i think this year really seeing just the growth of not only just the show and what hopefully we put out every week everybody has been amazing uh the feedback i get from all you guys that listen just it makes my day every time you guys bring up a scars guard joke (laughs) honestly you guys don't realize i i I might just like it i might not reply on twitter or something of that sort but honestly those make my day all the time anytime you guys refer to that stuff because it's been it's been really fun it's been so much fun being able to do this with one of my really good friends and and kind of like evolving the show in front of people growing in front of other people and i this this season was kind of schlocky in the best ways in ways as far as content for the NFL. And I think the Super Bowl was like a nice, like kind of like, yeah, this is kind of what the season was like, you know, there's some cool stuff, but it was like a little sloppy, but no matter what happened, you guys were always there. So I really appreciate everyone that's listening. It was a lot of fun year. And it was a lot of fun doing it with you, buddy. I was fun to do with you my as well. My friend, I want to thank Kent who's, who's recording this podcast oh. now at 1am his time, one thirty his time, <laughs> him and Marissa are always around. They do a fantastic job and I am very, very grateful for all the work that they put in. I sincerely appreciate it. And again, I sincerely appreciate you guys. We're not going away for very long. <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll be, we'll be back this week. I, I think Lindsay and I will do some sort of kind of off season primer, take a look ahead at what the next few weeks might look like. You know, Dane and Lance are going to have their show on Wednesday. Uh, we're probably going to take I, season, baby. <laughs> I'm going to take the next week after that off. Dane and Lance will be in the feed, but we're two weeks from the combine. <laughs> it's, I know. We're going to be back to it very soon. So yeah. I really appreciate you guys listening. I always do. Thank you so much for every bit of support you've given us. That's all we got. Please rate and review the podcast if you've enjoyed it this season. I sincerely appreciate that on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic. It was awesome being at the game today with all of my colleagues at The Athletic. There's oh, yeah. so much stuff that's going to be on the site. Stephen Holder is writing about Cooper Cup. Lindsey Jones is writing about Aaron Donald. Jordan Rodriguez, who the only entity to have a better season than the Los Angeles Rams this year is the woman who covers the Los Angeles Rams for us. Yes. So please go check out the piece that I'm sure Jordan is sure to crush that will be available to you right now on The Athletic. Daniel Pop. Chargers writer writing up some stuff so tons of stuff to get into Sando is there I'm sure he's going to do a great job there is no better place 
to read about, learn about, just sink into the NFL than the Athletics. So if you do not have a subscription, now is the time to get one right as we get into draft season here at theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back later this week, but for now, sincerely, guys, thank you very much. It was a fun year. We'll talk to you guys soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.